folks, this is the beginning of a brand new era, and I could not be more thrilled that you're here to share it with me. Come along now as we quench our thirst for knowledge of the great state that is certainly near and dear to my heart, and undoubtedly near and dear to yours. In today's episode, we'll learn more about the city that many call Kentucky's best-kept secret. Laura Oswald from the Paducah Convention and Visitors Bureau will be joining us. And then I scream, you scream, we all scream for ice cream from Cheney's Dairy Bar. Mr. Carl Cheney will be here to tell us how it all started and he'll share with us the secret to the success of the family business on his family farm. It's the debut episode of Blabbing in the Bluegrass and it starts right now. Kentucky features so much more than basketball and horses. We're home to scenic spectacles and one-of-a-kind golf courses. If boating, fishing, dining, or music is your pleasure, we'll guide you to the sights and sounds that you will truly treasure. Cause we're blabbing, blabbing in the bluegrass. There's nothing here to hide cause we're saying it with pride. Just a blabbing, blabbing in the bluegrass. With knowledge of the state, you're sure to appreciate. Yes, we're blabbing, blabbing in the bluegrass. Where musicians furnish talent and great whiskey cools your palate. Just a blabbing, blabbing in the bluegrass. With a fit for every taste, precious time is not to waste. From rabbit ridge to rabbit hash, flat woods to flat gap, we've got you covered on Blabbing in the Bluegrass exploration and celebration of all things Kentucky. I am Sam Moore coming to you direct from the fabulous first class fully furnished foyer here at the North Quail Motel in Henderson, Kentucky. And I am so glad that you share my passion for the beautiful bluegrass state. Now, my goal for this show is to broaden our knowledge of anything and everything that's going to enhance our appreciation of the great state that many of us call home, whether that be state parks, restaurants, musicians, community connections. We're going to do a little bit of it all, and the possibilities are endless. I am definitely flexible as far as uh, topics or guests of interest. So if you have an idea for a topic or a guest, or you'd like personally to uh, earn a spot on the program, uh, just shoot me an email. My email address is bluegrassblabbin at gmail.com. Again, that's bluegrassblabbin, B-L-U-E-G-R-A-S-S, B-L-A-B-B-I-N at gmail.com. I would love nothing more than to hear from you. Questions, comments, suggestions, they are all deeply appreciated. Like I said, I'm quite flexible, and uh, we'll even throw in some, some sports here and there, most likely, and other topics of interest. So I welcome you back here each and every week, and I sure hope that we get to know each other pretty well throughout the duration of the program. As mentioned before, uh, Laura Oswald's going to join us today. She is the marketing director from the Paducah Convention and Visitors Bureau, and uh, she's going to tell us about two local establishments in Paducah 
that made the list of America's best bourbon bars. So we'll find out what those are, hear a little more about them, as well as learn about other things that the city of Paducah has to offer for both locals and travelers. And also, we'll get the fascinating story behind Cheney's Dairy Barn with Mr. Carl Cheney, and a few of his associates will be joining us as well. It's definitely a cool story. If you're not familiar with Cheney's Dairy Barn, you know, people don't just go to eat. They go there for the full experience. It's a restaurant on a family farm, and um, they process their own milk, and they also use a robotic milker. That's right, for their cows. They are only the third state to uh, come up with a milker. Third out of five, I think, um, is what there are now. But he was the third to uh, purchase a robotic milker, and it has really made a difference and enhanced the lives on the farm for both his cows and his farmers. So we'll learn more about that, among other things, with Mr. Carl Cheney from Cheney's Dairy Barn in Bowling Green. Before we... uh, chat with our guests as always we will start with a trivia question yes indeed we're going to test your knowledge of the state we will give you the question now and hang around throughout the duration of the show and we will give you the answer at the conclusion of today's program so here is our week one blabbing in the bluegrass trivia question all right it may surprise you to know that the author of the famous song that is our state song, My Old Kentucky Home, Mr. Stephen Foster, was not actually from Kentucky. I want you to name the state in which Stephen Foster was born. Again, the author of My Old Kentucky Home, Stephen Foster, was actually not from Kentucky. He wrote the song about... uh, some experiences that he had here in the Commonwealth, and we'll talk more about that later. But I want you to name for me the state that Stephen Foster called home at birth. So, put your thinking caps on, get your wheels spinning. I can hear you singing that song right now. It brings tears to my eyes almost every time I hear it, whether it be at Rupp Arena or the Kentucky Derby or, you know, any establishment. At my uh, graduation at uh, Western Kentucky University, they played it. So, (laughs) no telling where you might hear it. It always chokes me up a little bit every time. So, you think on that. Where was Stephen Foster born? We will have the answer at the conclusion of this show. And up next, it's Laura Oswald, Marketing Director from the Paducah Convention and Visitors Bureau here on Blabbing in the Bluegrass. You stay right there. Sam Moore now presents his Blabbing in the Bluegrass Community Connection. Welcome to our Community Connection here on Blabbing in the Bluegrass, where we spotlight the noteworthy attractions in a given community. And here with us today is the Dynamite Marketing Director from the Paducah Convention and Visitors Bureau, Miss Laura Oswald. Hello. <laughs> Thank you for such a nice introduction. I'm I'm delighted to be here today. Yeah, slim audience here due to COVID restrictions, but you know, they're all lurking about <laughs> in yes. our listening audience and they're all tickled that you've joined us. Now, uh, Laura, you have a distinction. In fact, you are my very first ever blabbing in the bluegrass guest. 
Well, I am honored to play that role and really excited about what you've got going here. I think there is so much to talk about, um, about what's going on across our state. So we're excited for Paducah to be featured and to share a little bit more about what's happening at our corner of the state. Well, I'm tickled pink to have you on here helping me to uh, spotlight Paducah. Now, a little, um, a little nugget, actually a few little nuggets before we dive into our hard-hitting, well, maybe not, discussion. <laughs> but um, Paducah, one claim to fame that um, a lot of people tend to overlook, you all are located right smack dab in the middle between Possum Trot and Monkey's Eyebrow. We sure are. We sure are. I think Kentucky has some very interesting um, town names, and those are a couple of our favorites here in Western Kentucky. So, yes. <laughs> two of the best named unincorporated communities on planet yes, Earth, in my opinion. That's right. <laughs> and of course, there are t shirts to say that you've been to Paducah halfway between the two. Um, we definitely encourage <laughs> um, get the t shirt, stop here in Paducah, and get that. So, right. Absolutely. And um, also, Paducah is the home of the world famous Dippin' Dots. That's right. That's right. Yeah. The ice cream of the future. <laughs> yes, indeed. Now, I'm, I'm in Henderson, Kentucky, and I tell you, anytime I go to a, a local or a regional festival, very rarely will there not be Dippin' Dots mm -hmm. as an option. So I'm Thanks. guessing it might as well be a crime to live in Paducah and not love Dippin' Dots. And how can you not love them? I mean, all those flavors, I feel like there's so much that you can do with that. You're um, darn right. I mean, there's, there's something that uh, matches everybody's taste. That's exactly right. <laughs> yes, indeed. Well, uh, first things first, Laura, um, I noticed on the website that uh, Paducah has been designated a UNESCO creative city. So if you would, uh, talk a little bit about this award and uh, what you believe is primarily attributed to this honorable distinction. Sure. Well, Paducah is um, one of the world's UNESCO designated creative cities. And so many travelers may be familiar with the UNESCO World Heritage Sites, which recognizes, you know, natural significance and built heritage and the UNESCO Creative Cities program recognizes cultural traditions mm -hmm. of that are that are specific to various places and so really the anchor that qualified Paducah for that designation is the art form of quilting um, and so this led to our designation as a city of crafts and folk art um, and that designation really speaks to that here in Kentucky we have a heritage with the art of quilt making over time. But then today, Paducah has really embraced the modern art form and continuing to celebrate that and drive that forward through the National Quilt Museum, the American Quilter Society, um, Quilt Week. We have Hancock's of Paducah, the largest quilt fabric shop um, in the world. So we have many experiences that are related to quilting in the fiber arts for those that might want to get a bit of insight into that or be passionate about that already. But right. being a creative city really, there's creativity in all that happens here. And it really recognizes that and that cultural um, connection that we have to our past and, and bringing that story right here into the future. Sure, and we'll talk more about the quilt museum as we go along here. Yes. Um, to kind of fit that theme, but um, let me see if I can't get this right. UNESCO stands for United Nations 
educational, scientific, cultural organization. You got it. You got it. It <laughs> didn't know for sure. Didn't know for sure if I'd be able to remember all that, but somehow I pulled it off. But anyhow, that is quite an honor. Now, um, Laura also noticed on the website that um, Paducah's two of Paducah's local landmarks are ranked on the list of America's best bourbon bars. Yeah, now, and that's actually, something to be proud of, too. It is. It is. And I think that that, again, represents that creativity and, you know, the locals that are really um, adding their passion and their energy to the local experience. So the Bourbon Review actually just released their list of America's Best Bourbon Bars for 2020. Uh -huh. And this included two in Paducah. So Freight House, which is a farm-to-table restaurant, and Freight Barrel House. and Bond which is a brand new bourbon and whiskey focused bar um, that is right just the first block on Broadway off of the Ohio River. Ah, so Freight House and what was the other one you said? Barrel and Bond. Barrel and Bond, gotcha. Okay. Yes. And those, you know, both of those have great stories and great experiences and really help to welcome travelers into bourbon country here in, in Western Kentucky. Um, you know, the Freight House actually is the restaurant of Sarah Bradley, who was on Top Chef representing Kentucky and finished oh. runner-up on season 16. Oh, that's so, cool. Yeah. Really, you. she has a great following from that show, and the, the experience there is really very much worth worth the visit. So come, come hungry, not just ready to drink some bourbon. That's right. You can get a little of both, a little of both. Or a lot right. Of both. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, uh, it goes without saying that the uh, Purple Toad Winery has become a fan favorite for locals and out-of-towners alike. Now, I have to ask you, Laura, what is your personal favorite in the wine flavor department from Purple Toad? Well, my favorite is actually called Black and Bruised, which mm. the name, um, you know, may not give you the idea exactly of this amazing flavor it has. It has um, Concord grapes and blackberry flavor. Um, so I, that one is absolutely my favorite. And Purple Toad does, you know, have, have about a flavor for any any taste. They are sweeter wines, but um, but within that spectrum of sweet and kind of fruit um, fruit flavored wines, you can you can find something you like there. That's hey, for sure. sweet wine for sweet people. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. And they have great distribution. You mentioned you know they have a great following. They really right. do, and they've been named the best winery in Kentucky multiple times and Kentucky Living's annual poll and. Um, you know, definitely a great place to go sip and savor, but also look for Purple Toad wine when you're out at your local liquor stores. Yes, indeed. I tell you, don't, don't be misled by the name. Give it a shot. You won't be <laughs> sure. disappointed. That reminds me of that old song uh, by Dina Carter, Strawberry Wine. You remember that? Mm -hmm. That's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm one of my favorites. <laughs> but I, any time I'm ever involved in a wine discussion, that song just instantly... <laughs> pops into my head. But uh, anyway, uh, along that same line, you know, we talk about the uh, the Purple Toad Winery, but the uh, local brewers and distillers shouldn't go unnoticed either. So why don't you fill us in on the, the breweries and uh, the distilleries 
in the Paducah area and um, give us an idea of some of their signature specialties. Sure. Well, Purple Toad was kind of the first um, on the scene, but we have, we do have kind of a great collection of craft beer, wine and spirits experiences um, for travelers that are looking to get a taste of that local flavor. I know when I travel, I'm always looking for, you know, the brewery, distillery, um, winery or that local local drink of choice. So Purple Toad obviously um, is our local winery and then sure. we have a couple of breweries that came next and so these are Dry Ground Brewing Company Dry which ground. is in our historic Coca-Cola bottling plant um, okay. which the building is an incredible art deco gym in the Midtown neighborhood um, and it it's about 32 blocks from the river. But the reason that it, that building was built and now dry ground is called dry ground, um, the Coca-Cola bottler, Luther Carson, he was actually the seventh bottler of Coca-Cola in the world uh -huh. and had his franchise here in Paducah. Um, when the 1937 flood happened here on the Ohio River, he was flooded out um, and had to seek um, seek solace kind of in the midtown area there and he said if i ever reach dry ground that's where i'll build my bottling plant right. so he did and now dry ground carries on that story and a lot of their beers um not only have incredible flavor but they carry on that legacy and lore of paducah's past so that's dry ground and then our other brewery is paducah beer works and it also is in a historic structure um, repurposed structure. It's in the old Greyhound bus terminal in downtown Paducah. Okay. So they also serve great food. They do wing flights. Um, they've been in some international beer competitions and get great reviews of their, um, their beers, their Irish red, um, great, great flavors at both of those breweries. I recommend seeing both of those if you're into in, craft beer. Paducah Brewer, Brewer, Beer Works and yes. um, also Dry Ground. We'll keep those That's in right. mind. Yeah, I love that. I love Dry Ground's name. Uh, over eight decades later, they're still carrying on based on... Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. The great story from the flood of 37. Yeah, up, um, on the Ohio, but never in it. That's what they say about Henderson yeah. because <laughs> we were fortunately not flooded either. But <laughs> You were very lucky that, you know, that... The stories of the 37 flood continue to resonate because that impact was so great here in Paducah. Um, murals about it and um, historic markers and now a brewery <laughs> carrying yes, on that story. Yes, indeed. Absolutely. Now, we briefly touched on it earlier, but everybody knows we can't talk about Paducah without talking about the legendary National Quilt Museum such a state yes. in Paducah. Now, what in your mind, Laura, has been the key to their success in attracting visitors from across the nation and around the globe? So I think the National Quilt Museum and their team are really, really special and, you know, very connected to Paducah being Quilt City USA and having that heritage within this specific art form. Um, but I think that really what sets them apart and makes them a must-see, whether you're a quilter and have a personal connection to the art form already, or just appreciate creativity and, you know, seeing culture, cultural expression in different forms. I think that they really do continue to align with the global quilting community. Um, what's new in the art form? What's up and coming? What are the, you know, trends or what are 
the things that are being done really inventively in different areas of that, of that industry and that world and sharing that art and medium with the world on a broader scale. So they have some really, you know, innovative exhibitions and exhibitions that tie into history or social justice concerns. Um, a lot, a lot of incredible exhibits this year. And, you know, it's been a very different year, but they've also adapted in the sense of um, creating a digital platform to experience and and explore their galleries. So they've just launched that National Quilt Museum Digital. Um, So that definitely is worth checking out. And I will say that we're really, really proud to report that they've just been named by TripAdvisor um, for being a traveler's choice recipient. So that, that puts them in the top 10% of global attractions, according to reviews by travelers. Quite an honor. So, yes. <laughs> so you could see a, a uh, top 10 percentile uh, traveler's destination and go to uh, one or two of the uh, top bourbon bars in the same. Absolutely. <laughs> in the same Paducah getaway. But, uh, Nicely now, together. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah, I appreciate the warmth of a good quilt, too. And that's what, you know, a lot of people think like, oh, that's just something that, um, you know, I have in my home or whatnot, but you get to the quilt museum and you will have a different thought about what the art of quilting is all about. It's an incredible art form and um, so much talent. Right. I know they have a quilt week in um, April, did they not? Yes. Um, So that's put on by the American Quilter Society and that's um, been going on for 35 years here in Paducah. Um, so that, you know, is a, an amazing experience and one that has really set Paducah apart as Quilt City USA and laid the foundation for a lot of the experiences within quilting and the fiber arts today. Awesome. Yeah, we'll um, have to mark our calendars for April of 2021, no doubt. <laughs> Check yes, that one out. Yes. So let's see, Paducah is also home, Laura, to uh, numerous annual events and festivals, uh, including the um, Dogwood Trail Celebration, which is also in April. Um, I love this one. Uh, the P- Pabruca sure. Beer Festival in June. Also, you've got um, Barbecue on the River, which uh, just finished, actually, except it was mm-hmm. off the river this year. Right. But uh, <laughs> it was moved to a bunch of different locations inside. But uh, anyhow, uh, if you would, Laura, describe how these traditions reflect the culture of Paducah. Sure. So we say that, you know, every season of the year is really marked with celebration in Paducah with these big annual festivals and events that we're um, used to as Paducah traditions. And of course, this year has been a bit different with COVID. Um, but I think that these events really do encapsulate some of the cultural traditions and expressions that are so um, at the heart of what Paducah is all about. Barbecue, um, craft beer, the Dogwood Trail with our beautiful trees and natural beauty here in Paducah, Quilt Week, like you mentioned, the Lower Town Arts and Music Festival. Um, these traditions really, you know, they bring that culture into a moment in time and really put a spotlight on it. And so we are very proud of all these events and certainly, you know, look forward to seeing them be able to continue safely, hopefully in 2021. And um, we have seen many, many venues and attractions and events really adapt through COVID. And 
um, get creative as you might think that they would here in a creative city to um, keep things safe and keep things socially distanced, but still bringing that culture to people in really meaningful and memorable ways. Sure. Yeah. Whether you're there for the visuals or the uh, music Mm -hmm. or whatever, there's a festival designed with you in mind. That's right. That's (laughs) right. and we, oh, have, we, have, we have listings of all of those on our website, paducah.travel. Right. And I would definitely encourage people to kind of use that as a resource and maybe use that as a planning guide for when you'd like to visit. Um, it's kind of a save the date, if you will. Right, exactly. And um, by the way, Laura, if you ever need a barbecue cook-off jug for the festival, Ooh. I'm your man. Good to know. Good to know. That is a fun role to play. <laughs> I, I'm a barbecue connoisseur and uh, preparing it may not be my forte, but tasting uh, and uh, critiquing is my specialty. So I love that. <laughs> we will keep you in mind for sure. You can't be from Western Kentucky and not like barbecue. That's exactly right. We love it here and know you all do there in Henderson as well. Oh, yes, absolutely. We do. All right, Laura, you've been a blast. So now, To wrap things up for us, uh, in 30 seconds or less, why don't you give us your best sales pitch for the city of Paducah as the perfect vacation destination? Go. All right. Well, I would say, you know, the Paducah experience, I think what really does set our city apart um, is that authentic heritage that we have. And so much of the Paducah experience is rooted in that, whether it's being housed within historic architecture, connected to stories of the past, um, celebrating and preserving that cultural heritage that is unique to our area and our river city. But at the same time as we have those ties to our past and appreciation of that, the experience here is really ever-changing. And I think that that's, you know, driven by that innovation and creativity and appreciation for our culture and, and, continuing that um, for those that come after us in future generations. So from the murals to the Greenway Trail, the riverfront parks, um, our mini museums, those breweries, wineries, and distilleries, I think Paducah really inspires with our heritage and our creativity. Um, And I think that's something that can inspire all ages, whether you're, you know, a young family or a, a, a couple of empty nesters or right. ready for a girlfriend getaway. I think Paducah <laughs> has so much to offer and um, can be created to match your taste. Absolutely. Plenty to see and do. Laura Oswald, the director of marketing from the Paducah Convention and Visitors Bureau. Now you can go to their website, like she said, paducah.travel. You can also check them out on uh, YouTube back uh, Paducah's Paducah Visitors Bureau. Uh, let's see, their Facebook page yeah. is uh, Paducah, Paducah Creative, Creative City. Center. Yes, indeed, Paducah Creative City. And um, let's see, on uh, Twitter, the Twitter handle is at PaducahCVB, correct? That's correct, yes. Awesome. And also Paducah Creative Center on, uh, or Paducah Creative City on Instagram. That's right. So yes, we'd love to connect. Yes, indeed. Plenty of opportunities for you to uh learn more about Paducah and get involved. And I'm sure Laura would be happy to steer you in the right direction with any questions you may have as well. You can email her at laura at paducah.travel. And if she doesn't have the answers, I'm sure that she knows where to find them. 
Yes, we are master facilitators here and we'd love to make connections to Paducah. So I hope that this has given some inspiration and I really do appreciate you having me on, Sam. Well, not a problem at all. This has been a lot of fun and you have set the bar high for my future guests. Oh. So <laughs> thank you so much. <laughs> thank you much. for the opportunity. And uh, you're quite welcome and uh, hopefully we'll chat again real soon. Thank you. Thank you. Man, what a guest. So insightful and knowledgeable. No wonder she is the Director of Marketing for the Paducah Convention and Visitors Bureau. We sure appreciate Laura Oswald stepping up to the plate and batting leadoff for us here on Blabbing in the Bluegrass. And she gave us a number of ideas for a short or long, for that matter, getaway to Paducah from the beer works to dry ground to... The freight house, barrel and bond, I mean, the possibilities are practically endless. And then you've got Purple Toad for all my whiners out there. Well, not literally, but, you know, in what you drink. And uh, I know a lot of you all go to the lakes as it is. Kentucky Lake and Lake Barkley, they are both right there close. So the next time you visit that neck of the woods, why don't you swing by Paducah and uh, check Laura out and see what's going on in that fabulous city. So, with that, let's transition, shall we, to our uh, Dining Delight Spotlight, featuring a restaurant, very unique restaurant, in the uh, Commonwealth of Kentucky. This week, it is none other than Cheney's Dairy Barn, a bowling green staple for a number of years, and I do stand corrected, I did say earlier that uh, Kentucky was the third state with a uh, robotic milker. No. In fact, Carl and uh, his gang on the farm there, they were the third farm in Kentucky to house a robotic milker. There's five currently. He was the third, and he's had it for several years. He'll tell us more about that, among other things. So let's take a listen right now to Carl Cheney as he enlightens us on the dairy barn here. On Blabbin' in the Bluegrass. It's Sam Moore's Dining Delight Spotlight. It is our Dining Delight Spotlight here on Blabbin' in the Bluegrass. And here with me now is um, a man who owns the epitome of a family business in South Central Kentucky, Bowling Green to be exact. It's uh, a place with great scenery, it's a great hangout, and most importantly to me, it uh, is a place with great food. It is Cheney's Dairy Barn, and along for the ride is none other than Mr. Carl Cheney. Hey, well, thank you, thank you. Uh, and uh, we can't just say it's me, it's also my wife and I are the ones that we own the business together, of course, and yes. uh, and we couldn't. We've got some great employees, and that's what helps us to keep things rolling. Absolutely. Now, Deborah's her name, right? Yes, sir. Deborah's awesome. my wife. Thank you. She, she is actually out delivering milk this morning. We processed yesterday, started about 4.30 yesterday morning, got through about 3 o'clock, and so she's out uh, delivering milk to uh, stores this morning. Oh, so I've heard of a milkman, but not a milk woman. so that's milk awesome. Lady. Milk lady. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing wrong with the milk lady. And also in the background is um, your office manager, Joanna. Yes, Miss Joanna is here. Absolutely. So, uh, so, Joanna. Hello. Hello. <laughs> She's a woman of few words. Well, we'll get her talking here shortly. I'm You're sure right. she'll, 
uh, she'll chime in with us uh, at any given point. So we sure appreciate you uh, joining us today, Carl. Now, I know that uh, Cheney's Dairy Barn uh, has been a longtime staple on the family farm, which is a, a quite a historic family farm. So um, if you would, just talk a little bit about the, uh, the rich history of the Cheney Farm and tell us what inspired the creation of the restaurant. Sure, sure, not a problem. Uh, our family started uh, farming here in 1888. So uh, we've been here quite a while. We've had beef cattle, we've had hogs, we've had chickens. And then in, in 1940, dad started milking two Jersey cows. And in 1948, uh, he was still milking. He was milking 14 cows by that time and he got electricity. And so in 62, he built a barn and we milked in that barn for 54 years course oh, twice a day every day for 54 years over half until, century <laughs> yes sir until june the 14th 2016 we put in a robot to milk our cows uh people i don't know i don't understand they don't like to get up at four o'clock in the morning and and milk cows uh, i don't, don't know understand. why not I, I wouldn't either and so <laughs> we felt like if we were going to continue to milk cows here on the farm that we needed to, to really invest in the new technology that was out there, and, and we did. We, we really actually considered selling the cows because my niece uh, helps me, and it, the work was so hard just to, get, just to get chores done every day and then milking done twice a day. It was just hard on, on all of us. And so we kind of put it to the kids and we said, you know, I, we think it's time to, you know, sell the cows. Uh, we're milking in an old barn. We've got old facilities. And the kid says, no, we, we, we can't sell the cows. And I'm like, well, if we do, we're going to have to put in a major investment. And so the kids were like, well, we're, we're for it. We, we will, uh, we'll, we'll stand behind it. And so we, we started the ice cream store in 2003 and it, okay. it, it has done, it has continually done well. And matter of fact, there's been three times <clears throat> in the 17 years that we've owned the dairy barn that if it wasn't for the dairy barn subsidizing the cows, the cows probably wouldn't even be here today. Mm. So, so the know, barn's quite a blessing then. The barn has been an absolute blessing. So we have uh, had a we we've had a great time doing it. We we love getting to meet new people, and it's just been it's just been really nice. And then also to have it do well enough that it can help us keep the cows, and then even help us to put in the robot. Uh, it's it's been absolutely fantastic. And then I'll add, when we put in the robot, we also build an area for processing. So at some point in time, we would be able to start processing our own milk because uh, be honest with you, that was what we first started looking at in 2003 and wound up going with ice cream instead. So uh, now we've got the processing facility in and so now we are processing milk uh, two days a week and we are making our own ice cream mix uh, from the milk from our cows at the farm. 
Awesome. That is something to be proud of for sure. Now, uh, before we get to more about that ice cream, because I know that's the uh, subject weighing heavily on everybody's mind, um, Cheney's does offer uh, a wide variety of meal options, ranging from uh, sandwiches to burgers to dogs. So why don't you fill us in, Carl, on um, the most popular lunch and dinner items and uh, give us the, the delicious details? Sure. Joanna's over here chomping at the bit, just wanting to get on here. So I'm going to let her, Yeah. She, she's, she and Wendy are the two managers of the dairy barn. And so I'll let her, uh, I'll let her take that little piece. Sure. Let's let Joanna tell us about the, uh, the favorites. Oh, that's great. <laughs> um, I would say like lunch and lunch here is pretty popular. We have a pretty good lunch crowd of a lot of regulars that come by. I would say one of our most popular menu items is the Cheney burger and yeah. salad. Um, and I think all the recipes have come from your family mm -hmm. that um, just taught their things that you all came up with at different Thanksgiving sure. meals and this and that. We do chicken salad, pimento cheese, um, potato soup, didn't Mimo like have a recipe for all that? Yes, Mimo did. Um, what else is good here? The chicken tenders are very good. I don't think you can go wrong with anything at Cherry Chinese Dairy Barn. But uh, what, what's your what's your go to, Joanna? My go-to is probably a burger, I would say. The burger. Well, hey, <laughs> that's a good standard for everybody. I mean, who, who, who doesn't like a burger with a little bacon on it? Exactly. And pepper jack fries. cheese. Yes, you, yeah, burger and fries go hand in hand. We've got great, we've got great fries. I mean, it's, uh, uh, that's, that's always good to go to. And, of course, you know, the hot dogs. I mean, everything. The, the, the kids here do a fantastic job. We have about 40 employees counting who's at the farm and who's up at the dairy barn. We have about 40 employees and they, all the kids do a good job. I was just mentioning to Joanna that we came up last night and uh, we were extremely busy and the kids were working extremely hard uh, in the kitchen and, uh, and serving people. And uh, uh, I, w I was tickled to death to see, you know, COVID has been rough on everybody this year. Oh, sure. Absolutely. It's been rough and sounds like you all are um, weathering the storm quite nicely. Now, of course, it ought to be illegal for anybody to visit Chinese Dairy Barn without a taste of their often imitated but never duplicated ice cream. Now, I think we touched on this a little bit a second ago. Many claim that their ice cream is first rate, but tell us Carl and or Joanna, what it is that makes yours the cream of the crop? Oh, nice little pun there. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, I got to be honest with you. It's, it's the people that make it. We've always had some really uh, wonderful people that work very hard at making our ice cream. I, I went to Penn State back in 2002 to learn how to make ice cream. Oh, and, and in country. Uh, Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And, uh, and, and after I got through make after I going through the course, I felt like I could make ice cream as good as anybody, maybe not any better, but I could make it as good. Uh, they were, the teachers were great up there. And, uh, so we came back and we started making ice cream and we've had some really great folks that have helped us make ice cream. Uh, I've made ice cream. Uh, Deborah's made ice cream. Jessica, our daughter has made, uh, uh James, Elizabeth, everybody has pretty well made ice cream in the family. Including uh, Joanna, right? Uh, Joanna kind of stays out of there. She's afraid if she goes in there 
and learns how to do it very much, then she'll, she'll, she'll have to do it because it is a big job. Last year, we made almost 26,000 gallons of ice cream. That's a lot. It is, it is a huge job. Uh, Miss Bree uh, made ice cream for us last year, did an awesome job for about three or four years. And so then this year, Madeline is making our ice cream for us. She kind of learned under Bree. So uh, we feel like the people that are helping us make the ice cream is, is the important part because they really take, they're passionate about it. Uh, the other part is, is you're always using good ingredients. Uh, sure. We use Prairie Farms ice cream mix for, I don't know, about seven or eight years. It's a fantastic mix. It's a 14% butterfat mix. And, and we were tickled to death with it. But that we knew that when we started the processing, the important thing was us to be able to use our own milk in our ice cream and our own cream in our ice cream. Uh -huh. And so we were so excited when we first started making the ice cream. Oh, probably about, I don't know, March, April, somewhere in there, we started making ice cream mix. And I remember the first night we made ice cream mix, we started about seven o'clock in the evening and I know I got to the house at almost 4 a.m. the next morning, and my daughter, Elizabeth, who is running the plant, when I got back down there at 6.30, she was still cleaning. She was still there cleaning. So <laughs> That's a labor it, of love right there. It, it, it is. Uh, Sam, she, and, and she's doing a fantastic job. Uh, and so now we've worked out the kinks, and it's getting better and better. And, and so now we actually use a little extra cream and we make a 15% butterfat mix. Now, uh, a 14% is considered a premium ice cream. And once you get above 14%, it becomes a uh, extra premium. And so we wanted to do that because we wanted to be more unique. We wanted to set ourselves apart and the results have been fantastic. Everybody is loving the ice cream. They're loving the creaminess of it, the taste, uh, the texture it has really worked out like we wanted it to. And so now we're making all of our own ice cream out of our milk from our cows. We are the only place in the state that is doing that. Uh, there's not a whole lot of people. There are some others in the United States that are doing it, but it's, it's, it's not an easy thing to do. And so that's why I think our ice cream is probably as good, if not better, I, I, I don't mean better. That better is a taste. Hey, so it ain't bragging if I it's think, a fact. <laughs> hey, I, I think our ice cream is as good as anybody's anywhere. We have been fortunate that we have been able to mentor some other people that are now making ice cream in the state. Um, and, and we're tickled to death to help because uh, there were so many people that helped us when we started. Uh, we felt like it was necessary for us to help other people that we're interested in trying to learn how to make ice cream. Hey, that is so awesome. And I tell you, it's the, it's the local milk and the, the local cream that, <laughs> that makes the difference. Now, from your, uh, from your basic vanilla and strawberry to um, your more exotic um, bourbon crunch and toasted coconut, my mouth is watering just thinking about them. But Chaney's has uh, an ice cream flavor to fit every taste, literally. Now, um, uh, this is for both Carl and Joanna. What, what's your favorite flavor? And tell us why it's your favorite. Whoever wants to go first. I think I can guess Carl's. I no, know what he's he wants. didn't ask. He, no, I'll get I mine. Okay, fine. I like, I really <laughs> like 
uh, Big Red Rumble. Bi uh, okay, we're going to get to that here in a second. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was one of my favorite. I love ice cream with like cake chunks in it, and it's just, it's my favorite. Well, what is it? What's in, what's okay, in Big Red Rumble, um, Joanna? It's white chocolate ice cream with red velvet cake and a fudge swirl, and it's delicious. That's, that's exactly right. I'm a, I love strawberry. I mean, as a kid, you know, whenever we'd go someplace, I'd always get a strawberry milkshake. And, uh, and I think ours is really special because we actually use local strawberries from the area. Uh, we use local pecans in our butter pecan, anything that we can buy locally and we can use in our ice cream, we do. But strawberry has been my favorite uh, and I just love it. Uh, strawberry milkshakes, strawberry banana split, strawberry uh, uh, oh, of Sunday. Oh, anything i just if it's got strawberry in it i'm i'm a happy fella now while now i'm running cows off of good cow tracks oh my gosh cow <laughs> tracks with snickers and caramel oh my gracious it is so good and all of us here in the office and miss wendy has joined us now we wendy. all think cow tracks yes now miss wendy we all think cow tracks is one of the best ice creams that we have so <laughs> that seems to be a consensus. That is a quite an appropriate name given that, uh, <laughs> that you're on a farm too. So I can, <laughs> I can imagine that Big Red Rumble is uh, quite popular given where you are and given it's the hometown of um, WKU. Um, what other flavors do you think are your best sellers? Uh, butter pecan, I would say, is definitely top. It's up there. Cookies and cream. Cookies and cream. Um, Cookies and cream. Um, what else? What are what the else? 10 flavors that we take in the trailer? Birthday cake. Birthday cake mint we actually chicken, make the birthday cakes and put them in the ice cream as it comes out of the machine. Banana pudding. Oh, banana pudding. Banana pudding. My pudding. gosh. We recreated that last summer and it's just supposed to be a seasonal flavor and people were obsessed with it. So now it's one of our core like flavors that we always have year round. Yeah. Brie would always get upset because she's like, I'm not making no more banana pudding. I made eight tubs last week. I'm not making any more. <laughs> and of course, we were like, oh, come on, Brie. Everybody's wanting it. And say, so, all right, all right. And it is. I mean, they're exactly right. I mean, we actually have vanilla, vanilla wafers in it. We have a banana pudding uh, cream in it. It's just, and 20 bananas in every batch. I mean, it's. It tastes just like banana pudding. It does. It does. Oh, so. goodness. That's, yeah. And you also have a banana. So you have to make sure you specify that you want banana pudding. Exactly, <laughs> because those are those are two different flavors. Now, um, what uh, what seasonal flavors um, are you offering for the time being? Um, we always have like a different type of cheesecake flavor. We have strawberry cheesecake, blueberry cheesecake. Um, depending on the time of the year, like we're getting ready to bring in peppermint and cinnamon. Um, right now, we have like pumpkin and apple. caramel apple. Um, in the summers, we'll have like red, white, and blueberry, uh, mint julep mint during, julep, around yeah. the derby. Oh, sure. Perfect for the derby. <laughs> yes, indeed. Yes. So something, <laughs> something for pretty much any time of year. Now, um, we Sam, it was really interesting when we first started this and I went to Penn state to learn how to make ice cream. And I right. was like, okay, so what happens, you know, if you make an ice cream that nobody likes? And, and there was a couple of guys that were up there that had been in the business for a while and they just laughed at me. And I'm like, okay, well, why, what, what do you, what do you mean? And they said, there is somebody that likes, that will like every ice cream that you make. Now, 
the tomato ice cream that we made for somebody is not my favorite. Uh, I can't quite see myself digging that either, but hey. <laughs> is there a potato? Maybe not. I don't know. Oh, we had a bake. Now that was good though. Bacon and maple syrup ice cream. Oh my gosh. That bacon was and maple syrup. Now I think I could go for that now. Yeah, it was good. Little mix of the, um, the salty and the sweet. Um, Absolutely. I think I've heard of people putting hot sauce on ice cream. Have you ever tried that? No, no, no. no. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't think I'm that brave either. Now, um, back on the, uh, back on the robots, I know that you all are, um, only the third farm in the state of Kentucky to uh, <laughs> house a robotic um, milker. So um, talk a little bit more about uh, how this innovation has uh, enhanced the lives of uh, both the cows and your farmers. Sure, sure. Well, yeah, we were the third. Uh, and I think now there's about five robots in the state that are milking cows. Uh, we bought a Laylee astronaut robot and the reason we went with them was because they'd been doing it longer than anybody else the company started in the netherlands and so they were doing this and then about 12 13 years ago they came into the united states uh with their first robot uh they have really done a good job of you know figuring out the problems fixing them so on and so forth so when we decided to go with it we we decided that we would do go with the lately uh we were uh, if we could get the cows we have jersey cows they give right. the richest milk. So uh, when we figured that if we were getting about a 52 pound average from, from the cows that we were milking, we were usually milking anywhere from 60 to 100 cows. Uh, the robot has outdone itself. We, we thought if we could get a 15% increase in milk production, that the robot would pay for itself in about eight years. We got around a 25% increase in milk production and the cows are more comfortable the cows i believe are going to last longer because now instead of being milked twice a day the cows can go in as many times well up to a point most of the cows right now will go in three to four times a day i checked this morning we had two cows that were at 106 pounds of milk a day and those cows are being milked five times a day so it allows those cows to come in more often and not have to carry around as much milk in their udders. So I, I think that it's gonna, it's gonna work for longevity of the cows. It's gonna keep them around longer. Uh, and, and it's not only the robot, we also, when we built the new barn, we put in a compost bedded pack barn and I've never seen cows more comfortable than ours are. We have a imagine. brush that, yes, sir. They have a brush that they can be that they can go under whenever they want to and it will brush them. We have curtains, we have 12 fans, we have a Juno, which we named R2 Mutu, and it goes around every hour and pushes the feet up to the cows. So everything that we could think of, yes, sir, everything that we could think of to keep the cows more comfortable, that's what we went with. And it has worked absolutely fantastic. With that being said, with what we were doing, uh, we also decided we wanted to open that robot up for tours. So when you come to the dairy barn, you can actually buy a ticket and you can either walk down to the farm or drive down to the farm. You can go into the tour room. We have bleachers. We have two TVs. We have a looped 
uh, story if because a lot of the times we're not able to be there and there's kind of a loop story about the farm and and the cows and so on and so forth and then they can sit there and watch the robot milk cows and then they can go upstairs and they can overlook the cows and see where they're how they're laying down how they're interact uh, interacting with each other and I think last year between the self-guided tours and the farm tours which we actually take them down on a wagon a lot of school groups uh, we had almost 15,000 people went down and, and I noticed oh, we had a group that was here yesterday and I was showing them our, our, our book, uh, and our guest book. And just yesterday, there was somebody here from Wyoming and somebody from California. So it's oh, goodness, unbelievable where coming from. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> that's, that's pretty awesome. Now, in addition to your farm tours, um, you also have a corn maze right now, right? Oh, yes, sir. And our corn maze is thanks to all essential workers. And uh, it's got the picture of a nurse, fire, fireman, policeman, and of course, one of the most essential people around the farmer. The farmer, yes, indeed. The farmers, we've got to have the farmers there. So because the farmers, you know, you just think about it. In 1972, the average farmer fed himself and about 60 other people. Today, that same farmer now is feeding himself and almost 160 people. So it's we're getting- triple that. Yes, sir. We're getting better at what we're doing and uh, you know, trying, to keep, trying to keep America and also the dadgone world trying to keep them fed. <laughs> yes, indeed. Farmers make the, make the world go round for sure. Now, well, um, <laughs> last but not least, in, uh, in 30 seconds or less, Carl, give us your best sales pitch for Chinese Dairy Barn as a must-stop in South Central Kentucky for food and family fun. Go. Sam, Sam I, I can't say my name in 30 seconds, uh, <laughs> but I'll, I'll try. Uh, family friendly. We have a playground that Wendy calls, well, uh, it's a really nice playground. Uh, and when we, when we did the playground, we wanted something special and it is, it's really special. Right. Uh, and then the farm tours, we have a jumping pillow when COVID's not on. Uh, it's just family friendly. Enjoy the ice cream, sit on the back porch and watch the sun go down. I would have loved that jumping pillow when I was little. <laughs> <laughs> I just had the trampoline. I was stuck with that. Now, um, we'll get Wendy on here. I guess that's overdue. Now, Wendy, what's your favorite part about the playground? <laughs> Wendy. She acts <laughs> like she's meek and doesn't want to talk, but you get her started, she won't quit. See, I know, I know she's got it in her. What, what do you think about the playground? What's the best part of the playground? Um, probably the slides. The slides. The slides because they're really fast. Oh, we've got fast slides. I'll I can appreciate fast slides. Yes, indeed. Who couldn't? Yes, indeed. So um, that's something to look forward to when you go to Chinese Dairy Barn. And you can also um, check out Carl and um, Joanna and Wendy. And I'm sure they'll all sign their autographs for you relatively cheap. Well, I don't know about cheap, but <laughs> we'll sign them anyway. <laughs> yeah, Car Carl's would be the most expensive. Oh, for sure. <laughs> no offense, Joanna and Wendy. We thank all three of you for joining us today, and uh, we hope to talk to you again real soon. Hopefully, I didn't run you off. Because, uh, no uh, problem. Thank you, Sam. <laughs> it has been a blast. So thank you for joining us, all three of you. You're thank welcome. You.
Man, oh man, what big fun. Carl and his crew were quite the trip, to say the least. And it was quite a joy for me to spend some time with them in our Dining Delight Spotlight today on Blabbing in the Bluegrass. Now, you folks can experience this entertainment in person for yourself by paying them a visit. They said they had folks from uh, Wyoming and California there recently, so why not join the increasing number of visits by the day and check them out. They're located at 9191 Nashville Road in Bowling Green. You can check them out on the web, ChineseDairyBarn.com. They also have at Chinese Dairy Barn on Facebook. At Twitter, the handle is at Chinese Dairy. And at the Instagram is at Chinese Dairy Barn. If you'd like further information, you can also drop them a line. The email is info at yahoo.com. That is C-H-A-N-E-Y-I-N-F-O at yahoo.com. And I know they would love nothing more than to hear from you and make a connection. Boy, we have learned a lot today, and I can only imagine how much fun this is going to be moving forward and uh, all the things that uh, you and I will both learn together on this journey here on Blabbing in the Bluegrass. And as promised, we have the answer to our trivia question that we posed back at the beginning of the show. And to refresh your memory, this trivia question was, Stephen Foster, who wrote My Old Kentucky Home, believe it or not, he is not a native Kentuckian. So the question we posed was, which state did Stephen Foster call home at birth? That is, drum roll, Pennsylvania. Yes, indeed. Our friend Stephen Foster was born in Lawrenceville, Pennsylvania, just outside Pittsburgh. And according to LuxRoadDistillers.com, the song My Old Kentucky Home was based on his visits to Kentucky. He had family living in Bardstown on the property which is now part of My Old Kentucky Home State Park. Yes, I do plan to feature My Old Kentucky Home State Park in a future episode of Blabbing in the Bluegrass, so I'll see what I can do about that. But anyhow, My Old Kentucky Home became Kentucky's official state song way back in 1928. My mom's mom would have been five years old at the time. She passed just a few years ago, God rest her soul. But 1928 was the big year that My Old Kentucky Home became our official state song. I would sing it for you, but I will save you that misery. And folks, I cannot thank you enough for tuning in and uh, putting up with our craziness. Hopefully you uh, were entertained and educated highly enough that you'll come back next week because it would not be the same without you. And of course, questions, comments, any kind of feedback that you would like to leave me about the show, it's all deeply appreciated. Just shoot me that email, okay? The email address is bluegrassblabbing at gmail.com. Again, that's B-L-U-E-G-R-A-S-S-B-L-A-B-B-I-N at gmail.com. And we expect you back here next week. Two more great guests, another great trivia question, and more great fun. Until then, guys and gals, do me a favor. Keep laughing, keep smiling, and keep blabbing in the bluegrass. Cause we're blabbing, blabbing, blabbing in the bluegrass 
There's nothing here to hide Cause we're saying it with pride Just a blabbing in the bluegrass With knowledge of the state You're sure to appreciate Yes, we're blabbing in the bluegrass Where musicians furnish talent And great whiskey cools your palate Just a blabbing in the bluegrass with a fit for every taste, precious time is not to waste.